Today is Canada Day 2019, and I want to welcome Miranda Jimmy to my show. Thank you so much for coming, Miranda. Well, I feel feel like an honored guest. I'm I'm not a Calgarian, so I feel like I'm jumping into a conversation that I am an outsider to. <laughs> well, it's funny. <laughs> I don't think Edmonton and Calgary generally get along, except when you're Native women talking about reconciliation. Then we're all two feet in on board. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. So uh, you know, today I got to see um, your blog about continuing to ram colonialize uh colonialism down our throats and i i just thought it was such a brilliant blog so i wanted to have you on the show to talk about that because um you know today out of all days is that uh day where everybody has so much patriotism that it i actually find it to the point it's sickening and revolting and uh, i thought um you know, for me, Canada Day is that reminder of it's a celebration for the others. It's not a celebration for all. And I thought your post really um, put that together quite well. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind, um, you know, talking about your blog with me. And maybe maybe we should start by folks who, you know, not are not on social media, not on Internet, not on uh, Twitter, all those things that maybe if you wouldn't mind reading your blog and if you want to stop as you read it and just talk about certain parts of it, start certain aspects or, or elaborate on it, you'd be more than welcome to. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I need to read it to people. I think the gist is, um, you know, people can find it online or, um, read it for themselves. I think after this conversation, those who haven't read it might want to go and read it themselves on their own time. But, um, I think the gist of it is, um, as you mentioned, Canada Day is a celebration for a particular group of people. And I think more and more Indigenous people feel um, excluded from that conversation because it's this idea of celebrating what we are as Canada, um, but celebrating a lie, not mm-hmm. celebrating the truth. Yes. And um, I think that through the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, I think accepting less than the truth is unacceptable. Agreed. And so that's where like my own kind of thought process started with what do I want to say about Canada Day on July 1st? Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this idea for this blog about the Royal Alberta Museum has been festering in my brain for months now. And I was just looking for the right time to say it um, that hopefully would spark conversation and, and maybe hit people where they needed to be hit. <laughs> so Oh. That's why I yeah, that's yeah. why I wanted to do it today. Yeah. I think it's so critical like uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action the reports all came out in 2015. Here we are 4 years later. And yeah. there's so many organizations that, you know, think they're um doing some indigenous inclusion. And I think that conversation of what is reconciliation, what is indigenous inclusion? Like, it's just still such a black and white conversation, depending on what side that you're on. And I, how it is that non-Indigenous people cannot see that, you know, they are still in this white fragility or settler fragility concept of a lie of Canada. And to, to not really hear our voice, not include that real truth, I thought was um, really well articulated in the so-called indigenization that the Royal Alberta Museum tried to do. But from your perspective, you know, um, and I, I find this, I, I could have wrote this about the Calgary Public Library. I could have wrote this about a million <laughs> other, you know, yeah. things that are happening in, in Calgary. But I just absolutely want to give you space about this Royal Alberta Museum because I actually haven't been up there yet since they've uh, uh, done some, some work there. And uh, I have a real problem. I know my daughter, when, I'm going to tell you, the one part that almost made me cry was the part that you talked about going into the area where they talked about Indian residential school, because here in Calgary, we have the Glembo and they have this tiny little section for that area as well. And my Mm -hmm. daughter, she's so petrified to even go in there. And to me, there should be like almost a whole floor devoted to this conversation, let alone this small little alcove really that they have. So, uh, yeah. Did you want to talk about that at all on your end at the well? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so many things to unpack here. Like I, I struggled with even um, 
getting my point across in, but I could have written 20 blogs about this, honestly. So um, I think to go, go back to your first kind of point about the work of the TRC, I think that what I'm hearing a lot of, and, and it's from mostly settlers, but also some indigenous people of this concept of like, move on. Uh, it's over. It's done. We had the TRC. Now it's time to just like get on mm. with things. And and um, my response to that always is a grimmest face first, probably, and then <laughs> and then uh, um, saying, okay, so what is happening right now that a hundred years from now people are going to look back on and go, oh my god, I can't believe they were doing that. Right. And so it's it's the like, what's happening now? What are you doing? to contribute to or perpetualize colonization today mm-hmm. that you know is happening and you're not doing anything about it. Yeah. And so there are so many examples of this. And like the big one obviously is the the child welfare system of, you know, the overrepresentation of indigenous kids in child welfare. There is the corrections system. There is, you know, overt racism in, in the public places. I know you post about that a lot. All of those are things today that we are saying are acceptable mm-hmm. and um, we turn a blind eye to. Uh-huh. And so anyone who does that is contributing to letting it happen. And yeah. so for me, this this example of the Royal Alberta Museum is just one of those cultural institutions that's publicly funded. My tax dollars go to keeping the doors open and the lights on and staff there, um, but is contributing to uh, untruth of telling who we are. And this, there was so much potential with this new museum um, to build everything from scratch and to think about our history in a new perspective post TRC, um, post documenting so many of this horrific uh, historical traumas that have happened to Indigenous people and telling it in a different way. But instead, they chose to take one step forward instead of leaps and bounds. And mm-hmm. so the next generation is going to go to this museum and think about things in the same way instead of with a new light and perspective. And so ultimately that's, that's really what ticks me off is that um, so much public funds were invested in, in perpetuating an untruth. Right. Um, You you kept talking within your blog about the dominant culture. And one of the things talking about ticking off, I don't know how many (laughs) round tables that I have been to since the TRC and people actually considered that outreach when there's no recognition that anybody even attended it. Um, they literally just use numbers and they don't actually talk about um, what people said and they don't have uh, any way for, you know, there to be any accountability and transparency because I know a lot of the things when I do sit at these tables, what I write down and I never one see it reflected in anything that ends up the final rep- um, product. But also, they only quote, you know, the the leading elder that they paid to be there. They never right. include any of the community members at all in any of the conversations. So, you know, it, and, and it's like you said, you know, we're just like this rubber stamp that they do. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, we even gave them dinner and tea. And and so <laughs> so we did our reconciliation. They they I, I feel that that is their concept of reconciliation, not you know, structural change where they see it. Um, you know, I, I took an anti-racism course and, um, and I mean, that's its own blog and its own <laughs> ridiculousness. <laughs> let me put it, let me say that, but you know, it, there, there's that bigger concept about anti-racism of structural change and mm-hmm. that there's a really wonderful organization here in Calgary uh, trying to do that work. And, uh, one of the people from there said, you know, if you're impl- implementing some new software into a company, there's a strategy and there's, uh, you know, everyone's expected to be a part of the training sessions. Everyone's expected to do their part. And we, we know this is like a four year plan and it's going to take time for the conversion of everybody and the, you know, updates of all the new software. And then, you know, the, the tweaks and such that need to be done and the ongoing training and that, that systemic change, if it's done for software in any 
corporation, you know, this is a part of that and everybody accepts that. But when it comes to like structural change, when it comes to anti-racism work or indigenous education, for some reason, people just throw their hands up in the air and like, oh my God, we have no model to do this. I have no idea how we're going to possibly do it. It's so overwhelming. Next, it just seems to be that thing. Um, or their idea is we're all going to sit around and expect everybody else to bring the bank and we're not going to pay anybody. We're not going to give honorariums and we're not going to reflect any of the things anybody wrote down. There's going to be no official report for it. And it just, it's, and I'm getting to the point where I'm just done. Um, I was asked to do a land acknowledgement today and I, I just, I couldn't do it because I was at the same event by the same people last year and they were incredibly disrespectful to me last year. Um, the concept of indigenous education is not there. So they've done zero work from that time to today. So at, at a certain point, you're just like, you know, I'm done. I, I, mm -hmm. um, I, I can't do this where, you know, I think uh, we have to start almost deciding where are we going to really be putting our time and energy. And I know for me, I'm at the point that I'm, I have time and energy for you. I have time and energy for our community. And I'm going mm -hmm. to put that time and energy into something that I run because even the nonprofits are, are their own colonial system that generally right. don't reflect uh, what's going on. And I, um, and I, it's just so apparent in your whole blog about the Royal Alberta Museum. I just, <laughs> I want to work <laughs> within the system and um, right. the best that I can. But unfortunately, I, I still don't think there's even that base respect to understand the gravity of what we're doing. Well, I think uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think that, um, you know, for a couple years, reconciliation was a hot topic and there was an awareness um, in colonial institutions and in not for profits and in society that, yeah, we need to we need to do something about this. And what I think has happened is reconciliation has become let's do something as opposed to let's do what we're doing differently than we've done it before. Mm. Um, and that, that kind of thought process requires long-term commitment. It oh. requires system changes. It requires a lot of listening and pivoting. Um, and I haven't seen that commitment for the long haul. I've seen people who want to check the box and do some things, yeah. but not actually think about their own processes and approaches mm -hmm. oh and so I think I think that's kind of where we're at a we're at a plateau right now because I hear what you're saying from a lot of indigenous people and I feel the same way mm -hmm. where there was an olive branch extended for a period of time because there was an, uh, an expectation that learning and understanding needed to be built yep. and now it's the like the work is no longer ours yes yeah, and they get to just go do whatever they want. And I would argue that they don't come back. Um, actually, I've been having ongoing conversations, and I'm really grateful for some organizations that are here in the city. And I'm just going to plug uh, voices because these are um, all racialized people and constantly reminding me, you know, the work that you're doing deserves way more um, more, way more than a, a pen, uh, recently went out to Canmore for an organization and did an hour long conversation about land acknowledgement. They took pictures of every session except mine. Uh, mm. they had huge, um, bags for all of the speakers, but when it came to me, they gave me a small bag of chocolates. They didn't give me an honorarium to go from Calgary to Canmore and I just had assumed we would be building bridges. And from the feedback forms that I got, it was literally the one time that they could write down a lot of their racism on on black and white and give it to me. And so I tried to talk to the host after and she just didn't seem to I don't know if she got anything out of what I said at all. And it I found I felt so betrayed. Uh, we had a, a session about what it feels like after you do um, cultural teachings to people and how, um, you know, how it makes you feel. And I was really surprised to see so many people feel the same way where they felt awful for at least a day. And they had a lot of self-doubt and they talked about, um, 
you know, feeling like they maybe let down their people, their culture. And I, I was just sitting there thinking, these are all the feelings I've had. I've never had a place to articulate it. And yet this collective group of people are all feeling this way. And right. there's no concept of this conversation ever, anywhere. And I don't understand how folks can honestly think, no, we're, we're reconciling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when we feel so awful after these conversations or after any type of engagement, we're treated so poorly. And they yeah. think that they were somehow in a phase of reconciliation. Yeah. And I think, um, I think this is the, the, the bottom line is that these systems, these institutions are governed by people who have no concept, um, have always been in positions of power in the, de- in the chair of making all the decisions mm-hmm. and to think about opening their ears and listening to a marginalized voice that might have something to add to that is such a foreign concept. Like that's, that's really what I think it is, is like mm-hmm. our, our settler society creates this, creates this um, expectation of expertise. And so you get to be in positions of power because you're an expert in something and uh, you are rewarded for being that expert. And to think that someone who is not in a position of power would have expertise that you could benefit from is a foreign concept and it doesn't even compute in some people's brains. Yeah. I am. And so, so whether that is indigenous people or other marginalized groups or average citizens speaking to elected officials, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have said that many times where, you know, our people may have gone under how many ceremonies and that is its own, uh, you know, four year state program or four year university program, but it's just not recognized yet. You know, the commitment for a four year uh, commitment at at any ceremonial level, and yet that's mm-hmm. not recognized through their system. And then our elders who have gone through, you know, generation of this, as well as having, unfortunately, the worst, you know, survived Indian residential school, um, child welfare systems, jails, all of homelessness, uh, sometimes alcoholism, all of these things, they've survived all of these incredible um, challenges that are just overwhelming for one person in one lifetime, let alone, you know, multiple things in, in one lifetime. And they mm-hmm. are not treated with due respect that they deserve. It's it's mind blowing to me, actually, that the disconnect between non-Indigenous and Indigenous um, inclusion and how much yeah. um, they th- like. Romeo Dallaire would be paid, what, $15,000 expenses paid. So it would be a $20,000 investment to hear him talk for an hour to come to Calgary. But our people, they're not ever offered, you know, gas, a place to stay, and certainly not given thousands of dollars for their expertise on Indigenous calls, ways of knowing. So, yep. Yep. Well, and, and to think about museums, museums are colonial institutions. They were fabricated through colonization of this idea that Europeans um, knew better. And um, in order to to document what was happening elsewhere, the savages of the world, they needed to collect their things and preserve them because these cultures were going to die off. And that was the plan. Yep. And so that's the basis for museums. And I don't think that it's changed. <laughs> um, and so... Um, they're, they're still run, um, majority by white settlers. There's yep. still this idea of, um, expertise and, um, we know better how to care for your things. Mm-hmm. And, um, there is, there is an academic way about speaking about and othering cultures that are different than yours. And that's the foundation of these institutions. And so, um, it's institutions like this that are the ones that have the most work to do, but I have the least hope that they will do the work they need to. I couldn't agree more. I uh, just recently spoke out against the Calgary Stampede, um, how they could be one of the leaders. And I would argue, you know, the museums can easily be the leaders in reconciliation, but they honestly are have so much power and privilege. They have no concept of their role. Um, yeah. You know, and, 
it is shocking to me how you know folks get so defensive like i i read a lot about white fragility and you mentioned it in your blog and i like it, it's that bigger concept of settler f- fragility because I know I've met many people of color. The irony being somebody from India who has gone through the same British colonialism and mm-hmm. yet here in Canada will defend uh, the colonialism that has happened. It is shocking to me. Uh, my own right. daughter, she went to a school and um, lots of uh, folks from India that were there. And I was so sad to hear her come home and talk about you know, the lighter skin compared to the darker skin and how they thought lighter skin meant that they were smarter. And I said, you know, that's a colonial way of thinking. And that I I tried to tell her and she rolled her eyes and said, yes, mom, you've told me a million times, but it's not. The (laughs) the point is, is that somebody somewhere is not telling them that's wrong. They're internalizing it. And it's so painful for me to know little 11 year old kids here in Northeast Calgary are internalizing, you know, this ridiculous colonial scientific study that came from Darwin uh, years and are perpetuating that here today in 2019. And if that's being done, like how on earth are they going to possibly see the space for, you know, reconciliation, colonialism here in Canada? Um, Some days I feel really overwhelmed with it, but then on the flip side, I know I've seen politicians make the smallest changes just quietly and secretly almost. And it, it helps folks a lot. Um, you know, I would do anything to get uh, an Alberta politician to invest heavily into Gladue reporting systems because that needs it. And I mean, something so small could help uh, a huge part of the justice TRC calls to action, things like that. Um, and that's, I haven't even gone through the whole report yet of the national inquiry but there's so many tiny things that we can do uh one of the candidates that ran here he had uh oh he's he's actually with the human rights commission now so you actually might even know him but he um always says low-hanging fruit what's the low-hanging fruit and i right. i hate to look at you know indigenizing um decolonial work um implementation of the calls to action with low-hanging fruit but you know when I'm feeling overwhelmed with the big giant, that's what I look for. It's like, okay, what is the one action we can do this week that we can focus on that might be something um, positive that you never know who will, you know, really listen to what I say because I might go for, you know, this minister, but it's actually a bunch of the coaches at the Oval that are the ones that say, actually, Michelle, I think that's a good idea. I think we could do something like that. And so it's always kind of shocking who will end up uh, being the ones that step up to the plate on that. And the hope is we get more and more people to step up. But right now, I'm not going to lie, I had to step away from the Indigenous Peoples Commission and my position with 12 Community Safety Initiative because I don't I don't see the change in people. Yeah. You yeah. know, the systemic change that needs to happen, it's not yeah. there. It's just not there right now. And I, I can't fight that fight right now. Maybe, maybe later, but not right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I just find it really, it's insulting and it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so after the TRC report, uh, Marie Sinclair said like indigenous people make up 5% of the population. If any of this is going to change the other 95% have to care. Yeah. Um, and have to do something about it. And so I feel like, um, maybe I hit a wall earlier than you did but (laughs) I I get I get where you're coming from and I get the exhaustion of it all but um I I realized a while ago that I I can't change all of this but what I can do is continue to point it out so that someone else can pick up the torch and do the work yeah that's the hope Um, isn't it I don't know if you because I I sorry yeah because I can't I, I can't change the ram I can't change every exhibit in there I can't um you know light a match and watch it burn but um i can point it out and hopefully the people who want to see the change uh are in the positions to make the change will pick up the torch and do it Mm -hmm. that's that's my hope (laughs) yeah yeah that's the hope for sure i know um it's been really it's it's hard i watch um the next generation step up. And I mean, last year uh, they had zero indigenous people's day on June 21st. So my daughter suggested, cause she went to a uniformed school, 
you know, can we not wear our uniforms and all what they do is they bring $2 and all the money goes to something. And she said, can it go to, um, Awuchan Healing Lodge? So the school got on board with that and they did it. But this year they just happened to have a field trip on June 21st. So she couldn't even, you know, organize something like that, which I found interesting to say the least. Disappointing, hurtful, right? you know, all of those words. Why this day isn't something that it, it's one day for God's sakes. It's one day at school to right. do something about it. And it doesn't, it can be unfortunately superficial by just acknowledging it on a billboard and, you know, saying it at, uh, uh, on the intercom, but even that seems to be too much work for folks. And, um, so it's hard to watch my daughter kind of go through this as well. And I mean, she was at school and folks outright told her it wasn't genocide. Folks who literally know nothing about indigenous issues, <laughs> kids, teachers know nothing and yet they had the audacity to say to my daughter it's not genocide I couldn't believe it it's moments like that that I think underline how much work there is to do because there's so many people that have moved on to the next thing um and we the north (laughs) (laughs) you know whatever it is like it um you know, four years ago, leading up to the last federal election, um, the the calls to action had just been released and um, there was an election coming up a few months later. And I did a social media campaign just re- asking candidates to respond on what they would do around the TRC. And I'm thinking now, fast forward four years, what movement has actually happened? And do we need to have this conversation again? Um, because a lot of things have been said and commitments have been made and there haven't been the follow through mm-hmm. and the media and society has just moved on to the next thing. Um, and it's hard to keep the spotlight on, on the issue. It is. And now because we have the inquiry, now we have 231, you know, calls to justice to try to dissect. And I mean, I haven't even got the report yet to be able to that di- really dissected. <clears throat> yeah. Let alone 94 calls to action. And, um, so one of the things that I go to all the time in my book club, because we just talk about reconciliation through books. And um, so I make them read a book. And then the next time we do, you know, a section of the calls to action. Anyway, mm-hmm. one of the guides that I use is Beyond 94, which is the um, indigenous component of the CBC. And it's yeah. supposed to be more neutral because they're media. But I find them so liberal in giving like good check marks to the government on the 94 calls to action. Like I'm, I am pretty shocked that they'll say good things because when I look at 94 calls to action, it, I see it not just as a uh, federal issue. I see it as a provincial issue, as a municipal issue, as a county issue, as a community issue, as a sports club community. <laughs> like I see it yep. in all of these ways. And yet, it it just seems so big and superficial to look at it and say, oh, well, Justin Trudeau did this. And it's like, yeah, but Doug Ford did this. And, yeah. you know, so <laughs> how can we say we are totally checking these boxes when here in Alberta, Jason Kenney's like, well, you know, land acknowledgements are, are optional now if we decide to do them at all. And, you know, they get a big pat on the back for even doing one. And I just like it. I feel like we've gone backwards almost that not and and even worse and I should probably t- tell you this online especially I get um they're called proud boys and they're right that they're this I would argue you know the new neo nazis or the new you know white yep. supremacists and they viciously come after some of the things I say on Facebook on Twitter and they're really growing and today's their day Canada day you know they get to be yep. the proud not na- and white nationalists and patriots that they think they are And uh, so they've been really um, on me. And I just, (sighs) these are the folks that like they posted today on my internet or on uh, my Twitter uh, to get over it. So like we have, I mean, this easily could have been said way before the TRC. It was said to me many times in my lifetime. Um, We're still there where Canadians are not just, you know, thinking it, but emboldened enough to say, just get over it. So the yep. idea of, you know, I, even for me, I'm I'm actually very disappointed in the CBC Indigenous that they don't push this more. 
uh, that they don't talk about the TRC. They literally wouldn't have jobs if it wasn't for that call to action. Um, right. That whole section was made because of that. And yet I don't feel like they pushed this hard enough at all. Like their whole job should be holding everyone to account. Um, municipal, provincial. Right, but the federal. CBC is a colonial institution as well. Like yep. this is the, um, and this is where um, the people in those positions have to be willing to go out on a limb and be the leaders in these conversations. And I just don't, I, I see it constantly being the, the indigenous voices on the side that are drowned out are the ones yelling about this instead of the people in positions of power. Yep. I won't mention her name, but one of the CBC um, news reporters, I outright said, you know, oh, I'd like to talk about reconciliation. Would you like to cover that? And she outright said to me, oh, I'm not political. And I just thought, you do have no concept how you got this job at all, do you? And I, I mean, I don't want to say that to her in a mean way. But really and truly, you and I know the calls to action. We know the reason yeah. why uh, CBC Indigenous was even created and mm -hmm. for their own reporters to not understand the gravity of that, um, right. to me, is that checkbox again. It's not real systemic change. It's just the checkbox. Well, and it's also um, putting the label of it's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's it's, you know, every call to action is like we call on the federal government to blah, blah, blah. And there is no call to action for, um, you know, me as a citizen in Edmonton. It doesn't say I call on Miranda to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's really easy to say that's not my responsibility, that I have no power over it. I have no influence, not my job. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you caught it, but when I was doing the um, Olympic bit that they had here in Calgary, I actually, because for you and I, always talking about reconciliation and the calls to action, I think things like Call 57 is the most important. And that one is public education for um, all public servants um, yeah. on Indigenous issues and anti-racism training. To me, that's like the foundation in order to implement the other 93. But, you know, I don't really look at the sports calls to action because for me, that political systemic change matters most to me. But, you know, I was forced to go and dissect it through the Olympic bid. And now even today, <laughs> we have an issue here in Alberta with um, the Gunai Nation. They were excluded from a bunch of kids being part of a basketball tournament at the Stampede. So literally after we get off the phone, I'm going to talk to the person that was really the spearhead to try to raise awareness of this and try to, you know, get this change so that the kids aren't let down. And to me, I haven't even, you know, talked about sports calls to action since the Olympics. But here's another example where, you know, it actually does specifically say we have to do work on the sports. We have to do work on Olympic bids. We have to do this work. And I don't think the average, I mean, most Canadians are so privileged. They have kids in multiple sports, not like not even just one, but multiple and they don't even see how they're contributing to in that way, that they could be a part of these calls to action. And yet there's just no conversation about that at all. Um, again, with CBC Indigenous, <laughs> you know, why aren't they talking about this? This should have been right. front page for the whole Calgary Olympic bid and, you know, taking some of those, those um, uh, voices that were talking about reconciliation and just putting that spotlight on it. Yeah. Well, and, this idea also that reconciliation is an indigenous issue is the biggest thorn in my backside. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and uh, one of the things that struck me when I was at the Royal Alberta Museum is they had, and I, I posted a picture of this in my blog, but they had two copies of the rise zine that we produced here in Edmonton, um, a quarterly um, self-published magazine made by community contributions responding to issues of reconciliation. And they had these two zines on display as part of the Indigenous Studies collection at the RAM. And the description with it is um, articles or um, artifacts of cultural significance to Indigenous peoples. Ugh. And it's like guaranteed a whoever made that decision was not indigenous B you're just basically excluding yourself from any 
role in reconciliation because it's only important to indigenous peoples. <sighs> and like, it's, it's like things like that, that sober second thought of someone that you're talking about would have said like, hold on a second. Here's what you're actually saying to the public. And do you even realize you're saying it? <laughs> but when you talk in a bubble to only people who think and do like you, yep. then you're constantly doing things the way they've always been done and talking about people the way they've always been talked about and nothing will ever change. I see these as just like common sense examples of like, holy crap, uh, we're idiots and we, we can do better. Yeah. <laughs> but no one wants to do better. <laughs> yeah. That's what the shocking part, isn't it? Like here we are, we have this real opportunity to do systemic, systemic change. We have like it, I, again, I go back to a software upgrade. How hard is it to do a software upgrade on reconciliation? Right. And yet it's just incredibly overwhelming unless it's something that it's not Indigenous. And I just, it's so clear to me how little this matters to public, but yet it is 95%. And, you know, you'd yeah. think even by now, four years later, that we would be talking about, you know, something really superficial, in my opinion, and that's, you know, how do we have these conversations where white people's feelings aren't so badly hurt or how we can help white people heal from this as well? You'd think we'd at least be having those superficial <laughs> conversations, but we're not. We're still, why are you angry at me, Indian? Why don't yeah. you get over it? You know, it's still there. Um, so I'm quite, I don't know. I I guess I had a lot of hope that, that the framework, oh, I should tell you this. You're not going to believe this. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> the election happened, right? And I'm sad yeah. licking my wounds as it is because I didn't win, but that's fine. Um, one of the N NDP MLAs that didn't get reelected, and I won't name them, they were like, well, I don't need these anymore. And I guess all the NDP MLAs were given the whole series of the TRC. And you could clearly see they hadn't even been opened. And they just gave it to somebody who likes to read and they said, here, have that. And that person also didn't take it upon themselves to go, oh, wow, this is like gold. I should keep this. No, uh, Michelle does a book club. I'll just give them to her. So I got this whole series of the TRC give, gifted to me. And I'm, I'm looking at them like, OK, to me, these are gold. But I it was so clear that even in a position of power being told by your so-called you know leadership that trc matters you still were easily able to just throw out these books and that right. was just one mla i have no idea how many other mlas literally did just throw out those books and then the people that they got those books didn't see their role in these books are really of value we should all be going through them so yeah that was that that real crushing moment to me that it is so painfully clear, no matter how progressive people think they are, they still do not see their role in the TRC. And I don't know at this point if they ever will. And that, I think, is what I find most frustrating. Well, yeah, I think that um, I think if you asked the average Canadian, majority of people would have an understanding or at least an awareness Residential schools happened. The TRC happened. I think more than 50% would know. How many of that actually read the TRC report? How many have read the calls to action, a 14-page document? Mm -hmm. um, and I would say less than 1%, <laughs> if that would be right. being optimistic. Right. <laughs> um, and so... Why, why do we, I think we have to have a conversation as, as citizens, why do we invest taxpayer money in these things we don't actually want to do? Like, is it for pats on the back? Is it for, um, you know, bowing to public pressure? Is it, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the reason? Because if we don't want to actually do this thing, I'd rather see that money, you know, from the inquiry put into the child welfare system to put into, you know, clean running water on reserve. Uh, there's like a bunch of things I, I would have rather seen that money go towards mm -hmm. than a report that's going to sit on a shelf that no one cares about. Which I'm 
I'm incredibly worried is exactly going to be that just as there has been so many other reports. I mean, here in Alberta right. alone, we've had what eight reports on child welfare that's never been implemented. Never. Yeah. And you can't blame it just on the PCs because I like I met Mammy Bular many times. I I had a uh, relationship with him and he legitimately cared. Um, Irfan Sabir, MLA, um, yeah. NDP. He legitimately, um, well, he held the portfolio, I should say. I don't think he quite understood Indigenous issues, frankly. So, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know if we'll ever see proper leadership. I remember before Carolyn Bennett and Jane Philpont getting the portfolios for the Indian Affairs, it was always looked upon as the ministry that didn't matter. And I, I really feel that way when it comes to child welfare and having that at the provincial level. I just feel like that is the one ministry that nobody seems to care about and never, you know, implement real change in. And I, uh, I don't know. I, I almost feel like if you look at the number of kids that are killed in care or killed through once they get out of care, like I, what's worse, them being in a home that they're malnourished or uh, there is abuse or going into a foster care system where they're for sure going to get abuse and malnourishment. And, you know, I, I don't know what's what's worse anymore. Yeah, what's the the worst thing about it is that it's happening and it's not public outcry to get the system changed. Right. That's that's the worst part. Yeah, right. <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at what stage or phase they're getting mistreated. It's that it's happening and no one cares. Yeah, and that's the part that's killing me on the inside because uh, you know, like, and I try I try to tell people because some people get all misty eyed and are like, oh, I'm so sorry those things happened um, at the Indian residential school, and I I remind them you realize that our grandchildren are going to be looking at us right now, this generation, and saying, how how did you allow this uh, child welfare system to get to this point? And they have no idea what I'm talking about. Yep. So, you know, that's where we're at. And I I don't know how to really shine a spotlight on those things. Um, I follow Sheldon Kennedy pretty religiously. And when he's not, you know, poo-pooing uh, Rona Ambrose or talking about <laughs> rodeo, <laughs> he actually does have some substance when it comes to, you know, child sexual abuse. And that really matters to me. Um, right. I mean, his healing matters to me as well, because I know he has been put through so much trauma. And then worse, um, when I don't know if you remember, I'm, <laughs> I remember everything, but when it comes to stupid things, but he did this rollerblade and uh, he was, you know, stopped all the time by people and they would tell him awful stories of abuse that had happened to them. And, you know, since then, he's always heard people, he's the one safe p person that a lot of people can tell their abuse to. So he experienced it. But then on top of that, he gets to take on everybody else's abuse. And uh, so but don't I, don't you do that as well? Like I can, right? I can tell you, I do that as well. Right. I, um, anytime I'm given an opportunity to share a bit of my own truth, um, I get it back 20 fold from whoever I'm talking to. Isn't that the truth, right? <laughs> so I, I like I'm I'm constantly concerned about his healing. And I, and that's part of the reason why I follow him is to make sure he's doing okay. And just like me, um, or maybe the opposite, actually, he recently stepped away from that um, organization that he founded. And I'm assuming like I need to, I'm definitely working on some self care and some healing before I because you and I both know you can't help anybody if you don't heal yourself. And right. uh, I found some regression issues that I'm like, oh, I got to nip those in the butt here. So that's part of the reason why I'm doing it. And I, um, you know, I, I do try to find some leading voices on that. Paul Brent, he's trying to talk about child uh, human trafficking, which he is actually quite an expert on, sadly. And um so I, I try to follow some of the things that he's posting about that as well. And I'm just hoping that one day it's going to take like a Paul Brandt or a, or Sheldon Kennedy to really shine a light on some of the issues that we're talking about for people to really get it. Because I find, um, you know, as Indigenous women, people just, they sidebar our opinion as opposed to, you know, a white male, they elevate. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, it's just trying to find those right allies that are willing to talk about these issues, talking about 94 calls to action and implementation of, you know, real systemic change. I don't, I, I don't know I'd if rather we'll find see, that. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather see people with power and privilege and, um, that hold space instead of trying to be the voice for indigenous women to pass the microphone. Oh, um, yes. uh, and so, you know, I appreciate what you're saying. There are, are lots of people in the world that do good work and that um, are, you know, have their niche issue that they're trying to support. But there's also those same people hold a lot of public space that needs to be shared. And I don't think that they do a good job of that. Oh, I think I couldn't agree more. And I think it's brilliant what you just said. I wish there was more of that, more giving of others. Um I just shut down my second account uh, for running for municipal, but I didn't want to because that was the one that Katie Lang followed. And I always <laughs> hope that maybe she would retweet something that we are always trying to promote and trying to champion. So yeah. I don't know. I But I, I did just close it down because um, the counselor that I ran against, he uh, he's having health problems. And I just thought it would look poor for me to be, you know, active on on that account while he's having health problems so um and i'm i'm actually i'm not 100 percent certain at this point i want to rerun uh just yeah. because uh it's exhausting right <laughs> so exhausting so well um, we never really that could be a whole other podcast episode debriefing the election uh the municipal election that we shared <laughs> maybe, yeah right maybe uh Maybe on the two-year anniversary in the fall, we can do that. <laughs> Jeez, that's a really great idea. Maybe we should, we better schedule that off for, for sure. <laughs> you know, um, we're coming up. There's there's about 10 minutes left here un until it's been a full hour. I just wanted to ask you, are there any um, other thoughts that you really want to talk about when it comes to like this, you know, ramming uh, decolonization <laughs> or reconciliation down our throat because it, yeah, there's so much to t talk about and to unpack, isn't there? Yeah, I think, um, well, with, with the museum specifically, I think that, um, anyone who works in a museum or a memory institution, like an archives needs to think about the power and privilege that they hold in telling other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And um, there that comes with a lot of responsibility. And I think that um, responsibility has not been taken seriously um, and needs to be because um, I think about, you know, these these publicly funded organizations, institutions that cycle through how many thousands of kids a year on field trips mm -hmm. and um, have an opportunity to present a new way of looking at things, a new way of thinking about things that they may not get in the classroom. And I, I just, I worry that the museum specifically is now for the next 40 years will look the way it is because there won't be money to redo exhibits and think about marginalized voices. It It is what it is. It's open. Doors are open and that's how it is. And mm. um, the opportunity is, is here and now. And, you know, whoever's listening to this or whoever reads my blog, I hope that someone from the museum reaches out to me. I hope that they say, yeah, we totally missed the mark. Help us. Yeah. Um, because I think that is a role that I play regularly. And I know that you play is anyone who asks for help. We're willing to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but the work is not mine to do. The work is not yours to do but we will help others do the work. That's right. And I think um, if any olive branch is left to extend, that's <laughs> the, that's what, that's what's left. It's not, I'm, I'm no longer willing to take on the work. I'm no longer willing to lead the work. I'm no longer going to tell people what they need to do, but I will help them as they examine their own work and need guidance along the way. Yeah, that's fair. I feel that exactly what you just said has been my role with Calgary Pride recently and trying to have that conversation with Calgary Pride about, you know, making space for others, which is its own, again, gatekeeping dynamic as a straight cis, but they need help with their um, Indigenous education is the bottom line. <laughs> 
So, and when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous Two Spirit, I mean, yeah, I, I, you out of all people. Well, I, I don't know. know if you know what happened here in Edmonton, but they canceled the Pride Festival because of that. Yeah, actually, so yeah. Voices works really uh, closely in collaboration with the Two Spirit that are up there and the people of color, and what. So they, we actually hear it from them first before we hear it from uh, the media's perspective. And that's part of the reason why I have the podcast is because the media just amplifies non-Indigenous voices and, um, you know, white supremacy. So you yeah. never get to hear any of the truth at all right. from from the marginalized point of view. And uh, so I'm really blessed to hear from them directly about what's happening. I feel very lucky. And, you know, it is unfortunate. I don't know if you know, but this last week we just lost um, an Indigenous woman. She was shot and killed by the police. And yeah. uh, and I probably know the cop that did it, which makes it even worse. So it's just, it's been a really hard conversation to try to have with people that when we say, no, like literally we are dying from police, I can give a straight example of that, un unfortunately, like off the top right. of my head. And for so many folks in the city, that's such a distant concept for them. They don't understand what at all what I'm talking about. But I was yeah, just so reading a really great article about, you know, how gay white privilege exists all year, but it's particularly hurtful during Pride. <laughs> you know? right. So like that is the type of thing I'm regularly reading about because I know how white supremacy still perpetuates white supremacy, even in so-called marginalized spaces. And having these right. difficult conversations are so painful, but I don't want our two-spirit to be so left alone on this conversation, right? Because their their yeah. survival, like survival, is a thing. Anyway, yep. anyway, anyway. Wow, what a great conversation! I just want to well, keep going. Well, <laughs> yeah, and I hope that we will continue, and I hope we can make this field trip happen. Um, I I want to I want you to see the museum for yourself, and I want to take Omar on a trip, and we can talk to him about what we see at the Royal Alberta Museum. So I hope we can make that field trip happen. So, I think we should. Yeah. And I think yeah. uh, and maybe we could even consider, well, maybe we'll we'll blog about it, but if we can somehow record um, aspects yeah. of it and put it on the podcast so that other people can hear some of the things that we have to say, because it, and then vice versa, we should all come down to the Glenbow here and uh, <laughs> see that as well. So... Anyway, yeah. anyway, thank you so much for being <laughs> on the show, Miranda. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. And um, I virtually raise my hands to you. Your work is um, impactful, important, and, um, and you know, lots of people are watching and, and advocating and actioning because of your leadership. So well, thank you for the work you do. Thank you. I I feel exactly the same way with you. I feel that when I see some of the work that you do, it's inspiring for me. And then to see what you're doing with other, because you do, you um, organize that um, rise as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think that that is such a great example of that good work that needs to be done that can be showcased to people. And I see the amount of people paying attention to it. So I hope you know, it's absolutely reciprocal and I'm grateful for you having that example up in Edmonton. So I feel like, you know, sometimes we may not say it, but I feel like we're holding hands together on this. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're so take care and, and uh, we'll, we'll hug when you come up and up to Edmonton. I can't wait. I can't wait. So we will okay. figure out a date and time for the three of us and we'll head up. Awesome. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Bye for now.